Today is Fill the City Sunday, and on top of that, it's our birthday. My gosh, there's a lot going on, hey? Um, five years of being us, Common Ground, once Tableview, now Bloberg. Why don't we just give another round of applause to say, wow, this is awesome. We were just talking about all the stories, and we could spend a a long time sharing the stories of the kind of friendships that have started, the kind of uh, community that's begun to build in this place, the the work that God's done, my goodness, in terms of friendships, marriages, transformation of, of views of life, understanding how to just live in a complicated world. God has been so amazingly at work, and man, we, we, we just so celebrate what's happening. That said, I, I don't know if you would like to be me today. Um, there's a lot going on. We've got a fifth birthday. We've got Fill the City, which historically has been a moment where we as the combined church have got together, and we've said, you know what? We give regularly financially to the stuff that God's doing. Christ followers for centuries have been giving financially to what God does. But what we realized was that we didn't want to be the kind of church who every couple of months goes, oh, we're starting a new congregation. Should we take up an offering? Oh, we're doing something for this uh, township over here. We want to take up an offering. Oh, we want to start a program. Let's take up an offering because we just don't want to be the church that takes up offerings all the time. So what we did was we said, what about once a year? We remind ourselves of how big the story is, how much we've got to do, and then we say over and above our regular committed giving, we have a Sunday where we say, does anybody want to give more and beyond and above that? And that's what some of today is, is to remind us of how big the stuff is that God's doing, and then to say, hey, there's opportunity to give over and above just our regular giving. But can you imagine doing that on a day where you're facing so much. On one side, it's your birthday and you're celebrating. On the other side, you're looking at the world around you and it is pandemonium, right? There's nobody in this room who isn't aware of what's going on. Uh, There's uh, wet wipes all over the show. We can't get enough hand sanitizer to make enough uh, space for all of us because you guys went to the shops and bought them all on Friday. So we can't even provide hand sanitizer. The world is going crazy, right? There's a lot going on. And tied to that, we're talking finances and we're watching our global economy heading towards something of a crisis. At least we're not sure where it's going, but it certainly doesn't look like it's going up and to the right, does it? Hey, it's not an enviable position to find yourself in. So what do I do? I'm going to lead with courage. I'm going to lead with compassion. I'm going to lead with our eyes open, and we're going to look at the scenarios, and we're going to do everything we can to honor God, honor the scriptures, and, uh, and lean into a moment that God isn't surprised by. You think about that for a moment? God didn't see, uh, sort of wake up this morning and go, oh my goodness, there's a virus spreading across the world. No, God knew this was coming, and God has a way of turning some of the darkest things into some of the most profound and wonderful things for His glory. Think of the darkest uh, Friday afternoon that ever existed over 2,000 years ago. was the death of the very Son of God. was the moment that light was pouring into the world. God specializes in moments in history just like this. So let me just speak for a moment into the coronavirus because I think it's crucial and I'm actually going to pepper it through as, we, as I talk today and as we go through the text, I'll pepper it through. But here's three thoughts that we can have as we as the church 
try to respond well. Firstly, let's be practical. Let's be practical. I think in, in simple terms, I see a doctor at the back, so I'm certainly not pretending to be a medical practitioner, but everyone seems to agree, let's be the kind of people who practically, we wash our hands often. It's just standard practice, and I think it's going to be something we're going to need to do. We need to greet each other wisely. And uh, the new sort of greeting, if you really uh, want to say hi, you give an air high five. Give me a high five. Hello, everybody. There we go. If you really don't want to, you just do the elbow one. That's like super intimate. And a fist pump is like, you know, it's way too intimate these days. You're like, you really are going too far. So, so let's be practical. Let's really think through things practically. Secondly, let's be responsible. If you're not feeling great, if you've got a high temperature, you've got a fever, hey, stay at home. We're, we're not asking people to pitch up at big meetings if you're not feeling great. Because everything we're doing, we're trying to do out of love. And uh, some of the realities here is that uh, sometimes we're going, I'm fine, I'm young, I'm fit, I'm strong, my kids are young and fit and strong, and this doesn't affect me. But what we do want to try to remind ourselves of is that especially as followers of Jesus, we're meant to be those who love the vulnerable and the marginalized. And in South Africa, of all countries, we really do want to be thinking not just about ourselves, but people who may be vulnerable. And so we don't want to be the person or the church that are spreading something that could become maybe not dangerous to us, but to others. And so we do want to be responsible in that sense. If you do have any immune deficiencies or you've got, um, you're, you're, of, uh, you're elderly, then contact your um, medical practitioner and say, hey, is it safe? Should I be going to bigger gatherings, etc., etc." We are also going to be uh, listening carefully to the authorities. We don't know if meetings are going to carry on. As long as government says we can carry on meeting, we will. But if they say otherwise, then listen into any communications. We've got weekly mailers, Common Ground, Bloberg, Instagram, Facebook. We're going to let everyone know everything we're doing um, because what we are going to do is we're going to be a faith-filled community. We're going to be a faithful community. We're going to look at this, hopefully, through the eyes of God, and we're neither going to deny it, nor are we going to panic, right? We're not going to pretend this thing isn't happening, and we're also not going to panic and uh, cause a, an unnecessary stir. We're going to be a faithful presence. We're going to be a faithful presence in our city, and we're going to be servants who move into the world with love, going, what does it mean? I may be strong. I may be of the right age that I'm feeling okay and, and, and the stats say I'm okay. But what does it mean to still be loving towards the other 50-odd million people in our country that uh, I may be able to affect, help, or serve? Sound good? Yay. Okay, so we're in an interesting time. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at another group of people who were told to fill their city. I don't know if you know this, but we get this line, fill the city, from uh, Acts chapter 5. It's an accusation that I sort of uh, sometimes secretly hope that I will get. Peter and, uh, and James have been preaching the gospel, and the gospel has been growing. The, the message of Jesus' resurrection, it's only really young. It's a couple of months old. And uh, they've started telling people, hey, you know that guy Jesus? He used to walk around our streets and perform miracles and do all kinds of amazing stuff. That guy... He, he was killed by, by people just like us, and, and, and then he rose again three days later. And, and they were telling this message that he actually is heaven and earth true king. And these scribes and Pharisees are starting to say, you better stop this thing. And they actually sat them down one day in a big council gathering, and they said, you have to stop teaching this message. But, but, but Peter and, and all the other apostles are going, this is 
we can't stop this. We can only but share this. This is the best news the world has ever got. So they pull them aside again because they just don't listen. They keep preaching the message. And these scribes and Pharisees in Acts chapter 5, they come to them and they say, we strictly told you not to do this. Now you have gone and you have filled this city with your teaching. And I reckon in that moment they would have felt a mixture of, oh, these guys are angry, and turned around and gone, yes, it's working. And we just read that line and we think, hey, we wouldn't mind if we were accused by a bunch of people who come to us and they go, hey, you guys, you've filled this city with that teaching, that stuff about the resurrected Savior. You keep telling everyone, you must stop it. And we go, but why would we stop it? There's nothing else we want to do with our lives but to share this message as graciously, wisely, lovingly as we possibly can. And that's where we get the, the fill the city sort of slogan from, is it's our calling, it's our sense of vision as a church that we want to fill the city with the life, the message, the fame of Jesus. And, you know, talking of crises and difficult seasons, what we're about to read now is a group of Israelites who are basically sent into exile. They were living in, in, in Jerusalem. Things were going fairly okay for them. Uh, they, they certainly weren't listening to God very often. And, and God warned them so many times, hey, if you don't turn back to me, you're going to end up going to the places of the gods that you worship. Hey, that's what happens to us, by the way. If you, if you don't worship God, he'll let you go to the things that you do worship, and then those things will eventually uh, become your gods, and they'll treat you the way that you want them to treat you. And this is what's happened to the people of Israel. Essentially, they've worshipped the gods of Babylon and all kinds of other places. And God says, well, if you want Babylon, you can have it. And in a very aggressive takeover, the king of Babylon comes and takes a group of uh, Jewish people and takes them hundreds of miles north up into Babylon. It's a hostile takeover to show that he is the king, that he truly is the king. And these Jewish people are reeling. They are basically looking around and going, this is the worst thing that could happen. It's coronavirus times a thousand to them. They are in trouble and they don't know what to do and how to face what's happening to them. And what's interesting is they also suffered from fake news. Do you know that? All those years ago, 2,600 odd years ago, fake news was doing the rounds just the same. We're going to look at uh, Jeremiah 29, but in Jeremiah 28, these people have been taken into exile, and there's this prophet. In fact, there were a few of them, but one in particular, a prophet named Hananiah. And Hananiah says to the people of Israel, don't worry, two years and they'll be back. Everything's going to be just fine. Don't stress. It's all okay. Two years and the exiles will be back with us and we'll be living in Jerusalem like nothing ever happened. Fake news was rampant. And there were a whole bunch of people going, okay, two years, we can deal with that. We'll go to Babylon. We'll sort of pitch some tents, have a bit of a camping trip, get some souvenirs, and we'll be back in in Israel in no time. So Jeremiah, who's a true prophet of God, not a false prophet, not bringing fake news, he writes to them and he writes a prophecy. He, he shares something that's pretty crucial because two years sounds really easy, but what Jeremiah is about to say is a little different. Let's read this together. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. 
plant gardens and eat their produce. They're going, why would we do this? It's only two years. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray for the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I'll fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is magnificent, it's powerful, and it's timeless. This is a very old text and a very old story. And yet today, as we look at our nation and our world, we can derive so much wisdom, so much grace, so much faith as we face the new and interesting world that surrounds us. I pray that your wisdom and your words and your ways would infiltrate our hearts and our minds so that we move into our city in a way that learns to discern what is right and what is not right, what is good news and what is fake news, and that we, Lord, become servants just like you, that we would move into our city as servants of the true king and servants of others able to bring truly good news. We pray this in your name. Amen. So how's that, eh? Did you guys recognize that last little verse? For I know the plans I have for you. Ever driven and seen a bumper sticker? I mean, this is like Christianity 101. If you become a Christian, you go to a bookshop and you get a bumper sticker. This is the one you're going to get. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Hey, but isn't that a bit of a contradiction? Because they've been having all these words. You're just going to be there for two years. And here comes God and says, no, no, 70 years, not two years. You're going to be in a foreign city with people you don't like, who you don't trust, with a king who has been very unkind to your nation, and you're going to live in his city. This is actually mediocre news. The wonder of the news is that in and amongst the sort of average news, there is very good news. Sometimes we want to bypass the story and we just want to get that last verse. God has good plans for us and everything's going to be okay. It's called denial. It's our way of saying, don't worry, the economy will turn around in a year. Don't worry, we can just find another country and it'll be way better there. It'll be fine. Don't worry, it'll be better if. And we find new solutions that are in a way a kind of fake news that tell us it'll be better if. And you know what? We don't always know if it will be better when. We just don't know. The only things that we do know are what God promises to be true. Hey, isn't it fascinating? Jesus is uh, not far from his, his death and he knows he's heading towards the cross and he looks at his disciples who are going, no, no, we, we don't fully understand. You're talking about your death. And he looks at them and he says, in this life, you will have troubles. Oh, Really? You're meant to be the Messiah. You're meant to wrench us out of troubles. He says, oh, in this life you will have troubles, but take heart. 
I've overcome the world. He brings a different type of good news. And as real, growing, maturing followers of Jesus, we need to try avoid the sort of denial story, and we need to avoid the panic story, and we need to be the kind of people who get the true story, the real facts of a really good God who might help us, who will say, you know what, I don't know how long coronavirus is going to last for. We don't. Anyone who tells us, I know when it's going to end, doesn't know. But what we do know, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that he will be with us. And that our calling as followers of Jesus is to keep doing whatever he's called us to do, no matter what city we're in, no matter where we live. We're called to be a blessing. We're called to fill the city that we're in with the true message of the gospel, right? We're called to fill the city with Christ followers, congregations, compassion and justice, cultural renewal, church strengthening. That's what we do. Hey, few things. I just want to share a few quick thoughts on how we could fill the city. Three things to fill the city with that I think we take from this text. Firstly, fill the city with the presence. Fill the city with presence. And I say presence and I stop there because I think we need to fill the city with two kinds of presence. Notice how they get this interesting uh, command. It says in verse 5, build houses and live in them. You don't build houses if you're going to be there for two years. You build houses if you're going to be there for a while. Plant gardens. Hey, I've had a garden for three years. It's only just starting to grow now. Two years is not long enough to plant a garden. And eat their produce. It takes a while to get produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and multiply there and do not decrease. Hey, this is stuff that takes time. This is a command that's saying, be present. Be in that space. And there's two applications to presence. The one is that I've just mentioned, that thing of God being present with us. He's with us. And it's such an important thing. I had this scary thought. I don't know if you know the story of Jacob, where Jacob has this evening, this whole night where he's wrestling with someone, and, and, and he only finds out in the morning that he's actually been wrestling with God an angel of God, and he wakes up in the morning and he basically says, oh my goodness, I've been been wrestling with God and I didn't even know it. He says, God was in this place and I didn't even know it. I had an interesting moment yesterday. My daughter Chloe walks into uh, the kitchen and she says something to me. She says it again. She says the same thing a third time. I still don't know what she said to this moment. She then says to me, Dad, why is it that your brain switches off sometimes? I hardly heard that. Mickey walks in and goes, it's because he's on his cell phone. That's why. (laughs) To which I looked up and said, what? (laughs) And then Chloe said, because you're on your cell phone, Dad. And something I realized yesterday afternoon is that presence is a very profound part of what it means to be a human. And one of the most important things about being a follower of Jesus is to be present. And one of my biggest fears is that I would finish my life potentially having led a magnificent church like this one and having done amazing stuff in in wonderful ways for the glory of God, but maybe get into my 70s or 80s and like Jacob go, wow, wow. God was with me, and and surely I didn't even know it. 
wow, my, my kids were with me. Wow, these people who were in pain, who were suffering, who went through these different viruses, all the stuff that happened in the world, but I didn't even know it. Presence. We live in the most distracted society that has ever existed, ever. In the face of humanity, we have never been more distracted than we are right now. And maybe just now, this corona opportunity is an opportunity because it's God calling us to slow down and look at what matters. Maybe to go home and switch the phone off. And there may be some times, I don't know if we're going to have to self-isolate. I've got no idea. But if we do, that God might be calling us not to switch on the TV and binge for days, but to actually look at the people that he's given us to love and to disciple and to care for and to, and to nurture and to look around our city and to go, who is it that God's called us to love? And are we present to them and able to love them? I'm not angry. I'm just aware of my own sense of need to be present. I, w- I want to know. Jesus, in his great commission, he says, hey, go to all the world, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And then he says, and surely I will be with you always to the end of the age. Something I'm realizing about my own walk with Jesus is that I can go for days, sometimes even weeks, and go, I don't know if I knew God was with me for a while. And I'm realizing more and more that that isn't God's fault. (laughs) That's not his fault. There can be seasons. Some uh, old uh, sort of fathers of the faith will say you can have some sort of dark nights of the soul where God will will sort of pull himself away to teach us something. But, But by and large, that's not the case. By and large, the case is that I'm so distracted and I'm looking all over the show that I don't see or experience the presence of God. And I don't want us to be that generation who misses out on the presence of God. And I don't want to be that generation or that kind of church who aren't present to what's really going on. Hey, you tell a present person from one who's not, right? They listen. They make eye contact. They care. Usually do a lot more listening than talking, which is something that our generation aren't amazing at. Hey, the gift we can give our city to fill our city with is, is presence. Secondly, another amazing gift we could give our city is transformed people. Transformed people. Uh, we want to fill our city with the kind of people who are not staying the same. Verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Just hear me out here for a moment. This is like being taken to the most corrupt leader you can imagine who is maybe from another country, who's maybe pillaged our country, and you have to go live in their quarters. And then you have to serve them and pray for them. I don't know who you've got in mind, but I know who I've got in mind, and that's not necessarily easy when you think of how difficult it is to love people who've caused so much pain. But God sends them to Babylon. This wasn't just a sweet place with beautiful gardens. This was a place that represented oppression to the people of Israel. And God sends them there, and he says, go pray for them. Go be a blessing. What kind of people did they need to be if they were going to swallow that much pride and love a city that was so oppressive to them? They would have needed forgiveness. They would have needed mercy. They would have needed courage. They would have needed a whole bunch of stuff that embodies the life of Jesus. If we're going to be a blessing to the city, 
we're going to need to be the kind of people who say, what is God growing in me? How am I being transformed? Jesus spoke of himself and he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he's basically calling us and saying, would you follow my ways? Would you believe my truth? Would you come and experience my life? He's calling us. He's calling us in our lives to say, would we be formed into his image? Hey, are we willing to be formed into his image? Because then the plans that God has for us are good ones for our welfare, not for evil, but to give us a future and a hope. He wants us to enjoy his grace, but he wants us to follow him into this as we follow the ways of Jesus. Hey, if you were to ask me, what, what's the best response in our city right now to the coronavirus and also to the economic challenges? We can't pretend that the virus is the biggest challenge. In the weeks and months to come, it may be more financial than it will be physical. It may be. I don't know. I'm not trying to cause panic. I'm just saying that if we're going to have faith, we've got to go, what kind of people do we need to be? And I think the word that we need to be is people filled with love. People, I know that sounds like really, what, what, that's an obvious pastor answer. Come on. But what I mean by that is we don't know what we're going to face. We don't know if actually there'll be an amazing turnaround and, and, and actually we get springboard out of recession or actually our economy takes a massive turn and, and people run out of work. And suddenly our house, maybe that spare room that you've been using once every sort of three years suddenly becomes a place for a person who doesn't have a home. I, I don't know. But a people of love say we've got space and, and we're opening up our home and we're aware of the needs of people that are, uh, are in our city. You see, if we're interested in loving, we're going to need to go, well, what is God teaching me? Who am I becoming? We also need to fill our city with the mission of Jesus. So we've got presence, we've got formation, and then we've got mission, the mission of Jesus. He's actually doing something through us. Seek the welfare of the city I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. It's kind of like a selfish blessing, right? You serve the city, it's going to work out for you. And Jesus calls us onto the same kind of mission. And I would suggest there's two expressions of mission as we live into the city. One, the message of Jesus. Secondly, the mercy of Jesus. Firstly, the message. Secondly, the mercy of Jesus. The message is simple. You don't need to be super clever and you don't need to be really good at speaking to understand the message. It's pretty straightforward. Here's how it goes. There is uh, this, this man named Jesus. He, he lived a life that no one could ever have lived. And then he goes and he dies a death that all of us as humans should have died. And then he rises again three days later to show that not only is he able to beat death, but he can beat darkness and sin and Satan. And that anyone who comes to him can start this, this new way of living. There's another way to describe it because there are so many descriptions of the gospel. The one is that the, the heaven and earth's true king has come to the world. He, you know what? He, he didn't get a normal uh, coronation. It was very different. He, he was anointed by getting dipped in water by one of his cousins, John. <laughs> How crazy is that? And, and then uh, the father comes and he anoints him as the king. And then he doesn't get a crown like any normal crown because although he had power and he showed that he was powerful over creation, he was powerful over demons and darkness, he was powerful and authoritative over everything he got a different kind of crown put on his head. It was a crown of thorns that eventually symbolized his death. But, but that death of that king 
was actually the symbolic death of death itself. Wow. And anyone who chooses to follow him can experience the resurrection life that says you don't need to wait till you die to live. You can start your life right now before death. And, and, and you can turn over your life. Hey, there's people getting baptized today. Wow. I am so excited to get in that water and stand with a few people who in their lives have seen that this is a message worth believing. It's incredible. Hey, one girl is getting baptized today who grew up in a Muslim home. Wow. We get to stand with her and say, actually, contrary to all that she's heard, she believes that Jesus is the true king and that she's surrendering to his lordship and his love and she's gonna go under the water and say, you know what, not my will, but your will be done, God. At whatever the cost, reputationally, I don't mind. I'm choosing to follow the true king. That's wonders, wonderful. And we get to stand with people like that. We get to share that amazing message. But there's also mercy. There's also mercy. You see, the mission of Jesus isn't just a message. It's expressed in this beautiful thing called mercy. How many times Jesus looked out over a city and his heart was filled with compassion? Or he looked at an individual or he touched the untouchable and healed them. His heart is just bursting with compassion. I want to watch, uh, ask us to watch a story. It, it ties together so many different aspects of what it means to express the message, to express uh, the mission, to express mercy. And uh, we're going to watch a story that sort of ties into baptism. Those of you that are getting baptized today, hey, listen in. And, and by the way, if you're not baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, it's not too late. Literally, uh, I've done this so many times, seeing people go, oh my gosh, it's been too long. I'm going to do this. Today's my day. Let us know straight after. We will organize towels, clothes, whatever you need. We're going to a house down in Tableview, and we will make sure if you're a follower of Jesus. You what a cool do. story. We're a church that are part of that Part of so much of the mercy and the message of Jesus going out, seeing the kingdom moving forward, God is on the move. And it's amazing to be part of. I, I just honestly feel to just stress one more time. If you're not baptized and, and you just feel that tug in your heart, you've heard the message, you, you just know that it's something you need to do, I really want to encourage you. There's something so magnificent about the simple act. Uh, by the way, you don't get into the baptism waters because you've got your life all right. It's not graduation for good followership. Uh, it's the same as getting into a bath. You get into the bath because you're dirty and you need to be cleaned. You get into the baptism waters because you don't have it all right, but you've got Jesus who got it all right for you. That's the glory of baptism. That's the wonder of the message we, we share is that our lives are way too messed up to graduate for Jesus. We just need his grace and his mercy. And that's why someone else makes it so easy. We just get in the water and someone else, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, takes us under the water and pulls us out in surrender to Jesus' love, and to, in surrender to his lordship. Hey, don't miss that. Don't miss out on that. I could spend so much more time sharing stories. And Nick's and I's date is nearly over, by the way. But... Um, I could spend so much more time. I could tell you about younger Maliwa, who did the TZN graduation. She did the employment readiness course in Danoon, one of the most amazing courses in the city. There's so many of them. But younger went through it. She traveled 45 minutes to get there. And uh, she was coming from the other side of Cape Town, came to Danoon, did her, her three-week course. And uh, somebody in our church started a, a hairdressing salon and heard about this, and Younger now has found such fantastic employment. She feels a fresh sense of calling and connection to what God's called her to. She has not just got a job, she's got a calling. 
And um, it's been so special to, to see stories like that, whether it's people coming to faith, coming to uh, a sense of, of work and employment. Hey, there's so much going on. There's so much going on. Let me read a, a little response. A guy named Andy Crouch wrote a fantastic article, and I'll land with this. And he speaks about the early church and the impact the early church had on, uh, on the, the known world. And how in, in times of crises, especially when there were pandemics, which were way more common uh, 2,000 years ago, there was one group of people who just kept on sticking around, who just kept on loving the people in their city. And, and, and Rodney Stark, a famous historian, he says that's the reason the church grew so fast in the early centuries. Because when everyone else ran away, the Christians stuck around. Hey, he asks this question of us. He says, when this plague has passed, what will our neighbors remember of us? Will they remember that the Christians took immediate decisive action to protect the vulnerable, even at great personal and organizational cost? Will they remember that being prepared and free from panic, the households of their Christian neighbors were able to visit the needy? while protecting them by keeping appropriate social distance, provide for their needs and bring hope. Will they remember that having ensured safety in all the ways we could, we still gathered to worship and praise God together, week after week, celebrating the resurrection, that even as we ceased doing any essential things, we made clear that serving and worshiping God was the greatest and most essential task of our lives. That's the kind of church I want to be. Sound good? We're going to take a gap. We have these. Um, I'm going to ask the band to come up. We, we do have pledge forms. Today's not about pledge forms. Today's not about finances. We, there's so many uncertain things. But in solidarity with what we're doing across the city, we are standing. We're putting no pressure. If you're a guest, if you're looking at your own business going, I don't even know where it is tomorrow, feel no pressure. But, and, and, and if you're still working out, how do I even give regularly to the life of the local church? Hey, that's a good place to start. But there's still others of us who are going, I love this vision, and I want to see more congregations planted, and I want to see more Christ followers come, and I want more compassion and justice going across our city. I want culture renewed. Hey, won't you take a moment? The band are just going to play in the background. Pull out this pledge card. Put your name on it. And whether it's one buck or whether it's a thousand or anything more, it's totally up to you. But what we do want to do is be the kind of community that says, you know what, we don't mind whether it's a little or a lot. We do want to be part of taking this thing forward. We've seen a million bucks already pledged in two weeks. Uh, people are still saying, yes, we want to see this happen. Um, why don't you take this out, prayerfully consider it, and, uh, and then we'll land in a time of singing.